A date which will live in infamy. Both of those projects, initiatives, got off the ground because of the Guerrero. The 11 Olympic team members slain in West Germany. The Olympic Games. So geheist waren die Brüder in Amerika. Von Kaufen schaffen es es gibt Out of the 24 who were killed were Americans who had come to learn in Kevin. I say one million Jewish children who were made to be cut in Whoever heard such beautiful words, It is never too little. It is never too late, and it is never enough. Jewish History Soundbites, bringing alive the world of our glorious past. Here is our host, live from Jerusalem, Jewish historian and tour guide, Yehuda Geber. Yehuda Geber with Jewish History Soundbites, and this episode has been generously sponsored by Zecher Nishma, Sir Tzadik, and Bela Weinberg, originally from Krushnik and Ulanov, before moving to Toronto in the 1920s. Reb Tzadik was one of the first children named for Reb Tzadik HaKayin of Lublin, and he later ran the Torah V'Avodah Mizrahi Shtibel in Toronto for over 60 years, and the family was closely, is closely affiliated with the Rebbes of the Tolna dynasty, so this episode is going to focus on the Tolna Hasidic dynasty, which comes from Chernobyl, later had some very prominent leaders of the dynasty, Reb David Tversky of Tolna in the 19th century, and then more later in Modern times and recent, recent times, Rabbi Yechanan Tversky of uh, Tolna. So we're going to get to their story momentarily. We recently had a, uh, just before that, we recently had an episode on the Pnei Menachem of Ger, which generated an enormous amount of feedback. Um, if I would read all the letters I got, then it would take up an entire episode, which maybe I guess we can even uh, toy with that idea one day. But uh, in the meantime, we just wanted to, Bring up a, a couple of points that uh, that some listeners submitted. Um, um, first of all, quite a few listeners, uh, you know, ha- objected to my uh, my uh, statement that I said that the Pnei Menachem of Ger um, influenced and had an impact on on many um, many many people, many many outside of Ger, many outsiders of Ger. So many uh, listeners submitted, and I'm not going to read it because it was sent by many, many uh, uh, listeners in, in different languages. I'm just going to discuss it in, in a general sense. Um, they said, what do you mean? The Beis Yisrael, uh, the Rabbi Yisrael altar after the war, the way he rebuilt the Ger Hasidus was by attracting uh, uh, adherents from outside of Ger, from, um, from other, other Hasidic courts. Uh, from uh, you know old types of Holocaust survivors, from even non-Hasidic Hasidic Jews altogether, from the yeshiva world, from the national religious community, from um, all from all over, he added an influence, and they became Ger adherents, um, and to a certain extent also the Leif Simcha, Simcha later on did the same thing. So it wasn't unique to the Pnei Menachem at all, and and of course they're 100 percent right, which is a fascinating story: the rebuilding of Ger after the war and the way. The basis stroll attracted all those from outside, and the the charisma, the the, the way he people were uh, simply uh, attracted to him. He was he was an amazing figure. Um, so, 
That's a great story. What I had meant, though, perhaps I wasn't clear, was that the Pnei Menachem had an impact on those outside of Ger who remained outside of Ger. In other words, he wasn't, wasn't, uh, wasn't necessarily attracting new adherents, new followers of the Ger court, new members of the Ger court from the outside, but rather as a general world influence. There were people, he was a world figure who had quite, uh, you know, inspiration or you know, whatever it is, whatever you want to, whatever adjective you want to use, that uh, many on the outside, who remained on the outside, who never became Gerers. Um, that's, you know, the type of person he was. Either way, um, another listener, who's quite a knowledgeable listener in all all things Ger, a, good, uh, a great dedicated listener uh, who I got to know personally recently. So he submitted the next two points. He writes, uh, you mentioned the story of the child who called the Pnei Menachem. As I recall, it was actually a girl, not a boy, and the Pnei Menachem spent a fair bit of time on the phone with her, which is a great correction because I found the story, it was very, uh, you know, I found it a very powerful story. I found it in a Jewish Observer uh, article uh, written, uh, published about 10 years, I think on the 10th yard side of the Pnei Menachem. Uh, you know, the Jewish Observer was the magazine of the Agudis Yisrael of America, and they obviously did not want the a uh, child in the story to be a girl, because it would be inappropriate for the Pnei Menachem to be on the phone with a girl, uh, and and therefore they made it a boy. Uh, so they changed his gender, which changing genders is a popular thing recently, so apparently the Jewish observer pioneered that. But um, either way, you know, for censorship purposes, obviously. But um, it's a good correction. Another thing this listener submitted was you mentioned it was unusual for a Ger Rebbe to answer the phone himself, but the Lev Simcha did that often, which is a great correction. I was not aware of that, but if if it, if it's a Ger thing, and there are different Ger, several Ger Rebbes who were accessible like that, that uh, answered the phone themselves, that's a great story, and uh, and I was not aware. Um, so. It's actually a good segue from uh, Ger to Tolna, because Rabbi Yechanan Tversky, the primary focus of of uh, the discussion today, was very closely affiliated with uh, Ger when he arrived in uh, Israel in the 1950s, and even more so, his grandson, the current Rebbe, is basically, a, who I mentioned in the Pnei Menachem episode, is basically a Ger HaChassid, who was a very close with the Beis Yisrael, with the, with, he was even, even closer uh, with the Pnei Menachem, who I mentioned, so we'll get to that as well. So it's closely affiliated. Of course, the Tolna dynasty and its background is, has nothing to do with Ger. It comes from Chernobyl, and I discussed it on the episodes I had dedicated to the Chernobyl dynasty. I think it was a double episode. Um, Ramatl of Chernobyl, the uh, Chernobyl or Magid, who passed away in 1837. So all his sons um, succeeded him and opened different branches of the dynasty. And one of the most prominent ones, perhaps uh, the most prominent one for uh, a fair amount of time, was his son, Reb David. Reb David Tversky, he was known as Reb David Ul, or Reb David Nyu, which was a common uh, diminutive uh, suffix to names in uh, in uh, in uh, Eastern Europe at the time, in Nyu. Um, and, um, and he became the Tolna Rebbe. He had a, another couple of stops along the way but was most famously associated with the town, even after he was in the town. So for a short period of time, he left and was in Galicia, he was in Brod, Brody, but he quickly moved back to Tolna. Um, so he um, he was a son of his um, his father's second wife, who was the daughter 
of Reb David Lykis, who was a very famous and a very uh, important student of the Baal Shem Tev, one of the closest and earliest uh, Talmidim of the Baal Shem Tev, Reb David Lykis, and he's, that's his namesake. He, he's named after his maternal grandfather. And then Reb David uh, goes on to marry the granddaughter of the Rebbe Reb Zisha of Anapol. So he's, he's in the Hasidic aristocracy. He's from Chernobyl, from his father, he's from his mother, he's from Reb David Lykis, and his wife is from the Rebbe Reb Zisha. He was a very powerful, very strong leader, very prominent, um, very influential in Ukraine at the mid, mid-19th century. He was probably the most influential leader in Ukraine, in Hasidic Ukraine of the mid-19th century, because Ukrainian Hasidus was now at the periphery. What once had been the birthplace and the cradle of the Hasidic movement had now shifted to Galicia, had now shifted even to Congress Poland, um, and uh, by by the mid 1800s, and the Ukrainian area was dominated by Chernobyl. Uh, that was the only major dynasty uh, left in the area. Even the other Ukrainian Hasidic dynasty of Rizhin had already uh, left and was in Galicia. The Rizhiner had escaped into Austria uh, in 1842. So by mid century, there was uh, only Chernobyl left there, and they were kind of on the periphery of the Hasidic uh, movement. Um, and um, and uh, Reb David was, was uh, unique in the respect that he was a traveler. In other words, he didn't wait for his followers to come to him, but he would, he would go to them, he would engage them, he would go to their towns, he would spend a week in, 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 in different, uh, different towns, he would go, go across the Ukrainian countryside in central Ukraine, the Kiev district, um, and, and he very often would a, enter into a relationship, an official relationship with each of these towns that would become his official followers. They would offer him a what was called a Ksav Magidus. It was a kind of a symbolic relationship that he now controlled, essentially, the town. He would control the appointments of rabbi, of shaykhet, of, of, of the institutions of the town. Um, and uh, and uh, this, this uh, spread his influence uh, throughout uh, central Ukraine. It was seen by his opponents as conquering these towns, but in reality, or as far as his followers saw it, it was, it was spreading his influence, and his, his followers in these towns would invite him there, and it would be a very you know, exciting event. It would be you know, very prominent. It would be dancing and singing in the streets with a lot of, uh, you know, it was almost like a, a, a royal reception. He ran a regal court, similar to the Rizhin courts. It was a Chatzar Malchus, a... a you know, they even his, since his name was David, they used to sing to him. David Melech Yisrael Chai V'Kayim was inscribed also on his on his chair that he sat on, uh, and uh, he um, he, he uh, it, this this actually caused him to enter into uh, tension or dispute both with his brothers who were also tzaddikim in that area. Um, so there was kind of this friction between the different Chernobyl branches for a time but also with other local smaller rabbis when he came, for instance, to the town of Rezichev. Uh, so, so the local uh, tzaddik, Rabbi Yaakov Yasef of uh, Rezichev, uh, resented the fact that he was spreading his influence there, getting this either ksav magid, becoming the official magid of the town, in other, word, in other words, implementing his control of the town. Sometimes he would be invited to a town to consecrate a new section of the cemetery, which was a whole you know, mystical religious ceremony which was officiated by a, a local tzaddik. That was the custom in that time in Ukraine. 
and they would very often invite Reb David of Talna to do it, and this would be a symbolic uh, uh, making him in charge of the town, and again, spreading his influence around on the countryside. So uh, this was resented by the Rezich of Rebbe and caused a whole big to-do and a whole dispute at the time, and it was it got to the media, it got to the government, and you know when the government, the Russian Tsar's government, gets involved, it's never exciting, it never it never ends well for anyone. And the what the result was the, what was known in Hasidic historiography as the Gzeres Hatzadikim, that they prevented uh, tzadikim such as Reb David of Talna and others for from traveling. Literally, they were not allowed to travel unless they had to, a license from the government. This was. You know, throughout the Kiev district, this was not throughout Eastern Europe. It was not throughout the Russian Empire. It was only in the it was the governor of the Kiev district who made this this gzera, this decree. It was not from the Tsar. It was not from anywhere else. And it lasted for several decades. So the uh, tzaddikim in that area were very restricted afterwards uh, from traveling to the Hasidim, and this um, and they had to wait for their uh, followers to make the pilgrimage and come to them. Uh, there was also quite a bit of friction between the followers of Reb David of Tolna and the Breslov Hasidim. The main Hasidic uh, community in Uman at the time was Tolna. There was also Sadiger and Skiver and, and a few others, uh, but the primary ones were Tolna Hasidim. And when the Breslover, uh would come for Rosh Hashanah to their clays and to pray at the gravesite of Reb Nachman, who had passed away several decades earlier, there was uh, it actually got quite violent. They were raidif. They they went after the breast of uh, Hasidim, and it got to the media. They had the famous the local uh, maskilim in Uman uh, sent reports of this violence and this uh, dispute to Hamelitz. Uh, to and Alexander Tiderbaim, the editor of Hamelitz, was more than happy to publish these reports about this Hasidic dispute and how it flared up and got violent at times. So. Um, Reb David uh, has for a long time, close to half a century, in early 1880s, he passes away. And his only son, he had several daughters, um, but his only son, Reb Mordechai, had passed away during his lifetime. Um, he had all kinds of sons-in-law who became rabbis and rebbes, but the one who succeeds him is his son's son, his grandson, Reb Menachem Nochum Tversky, who becomes the Tolna Rebbe as a Yenuka, as a young Rebbe at the age of 13. So, you know, the people always complain about how young Rebbes become, and how could they become Rebbes so young, and da, 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 and you see it in the news every t- from time to time. Here you had a Rebbe who was accepted by thousands of Hasidim at the age of 13, and it was fine, and everyone was happy, and it was okay. It was, it was uh, you know, it went well. And uh, he was in Tolna. Later on, he moved to Tolchin, and he passed away in Kiev uh, during, uh, uh, where he had fled during World War I. Uh, many Rebbes fled to urban centers, so he fled to Kiev, and he passes away on what day? Coming up next week, a very famous day, 19 Kislev, Yutes Kislev, um, which is, a, you know, the Yartzeit of the Magadim is rich, and it's the day that the, the Alta Rebbe, Rosh uh, Zaman of Liadi, got out of the Tsarist prison. It's known as the Rosh Hashanah of Hasidah. So here you have another prominent Rebbe, Rabbi Nachum Nachum Tversky, the Tolna Rebbe. He had passed, his Yartzeit is also on Yutes Kislev. What do you know? Either way, so the three sons of Rabbi Menachem Nachum, they become the Tolna Rebbes. What's interesting about it is, is that all three of these sons make it to the United States. They're from the earliest Rebbes who migrate to the United States. And the reason, obvious reason for at least two of them 
is because of you know com- communism, which comes to Ukraine. It doesn't come to Poland and Hungary until after World War II. So it comes. The Soviet Union uh, arises in these areas much earlier. So they come to the United States. But what's even more interesting is that the oldest son leaves way before that because of the draft, um, because of the military draft. David Mordechai. So we're going to focus on him for a while, and I'll get back to the other two sons of Rabbi Nachum, Nachum towards the end. I want to focus on Rabbi David Mordechai and his son Rabbi Yechanan, uh, who's the main focus of our story, um, and how the Tolna Chassidus makes it to the United States and then to Israel. So Rabbi David Mordechai Tversky, uh, the oldest son, he arrives even before World War I, even way before the Russian Revolution. He comes in 1913, very early on, and quite rare for a Rebbe to come then. He's one of the earliest Rebbes to come to the United States. And he sends his young son as a young teenager, 13, 14 years old, to study in Yerushalayim, which is also rare for an American young boy to study abroad, you know, talk about the earliest ones. So Rabbi Yechanan Tversky, the Talmud Rebbe, is one of them. His father, Rabbi David Mordechai, this uh, Talmud Rebbe that I mentioned, he lives in New York. He published a series of articles in the Yiddish paper Der Morgen Journal, about the history of the Tola dynasty. So, right, in 1950, uh, post-war already, he's writing the history of the Tola dynasty. This Rebbe is writing, uh, is publishing articles in the in the in the newspaper. Uh, this this branch of Rabbi Mordechai and Rabbi was, I guess we could call it somewhat Zionistic, uh, at least lovers of of, of Eretz Yisrael. Uh, Zionistic uh, depends depends who you ask. Um, Rabbi David Mordechai himself, and to a certain extent. Rabbi Eichanan, uh, uh, his, his successor, and then his son-in-law, his daughter's uh, husband, um, and the father of the current rabbi was actually affiliated with the Mizrahi, uh, officially. So it's an interesting branch here. So Rabbi Eichanan Tversky, the Tolna Rebbe, he's born in 1906, lives a nice long life. He only passed away in 1999. He was 93 years old. He's born in Ukraine, but moves to the United States with his family, like I said, very young. And then shortly afterwards, uh, right after World War I, he's in Yerushalayim. He's, he remains in Yerushalayim studying for about seven, eight years and received smicha from the great rabbis of Yerushalayim at that time. In 1927, he returns to New York to his father, to his parents, and then he marries uh, the, the, the Stratton Rebbe's daughter, like I said. So then he moves to Montreal. And he's about for 25 years. He's the Rebbe in the Tolna Rebbe in Montreal. And he's very active in Montreal Jewish life and the surrounding towns in Canada. He was very active in rescue work and with refugees during the Holocaust, during the war. And he's one of the earliest Hasidic rabbis in that area. Um, and uh, he moves to Israel in the 1950s, uh, right around the time of his father's passing in New York, he moves to Israel. So he lived in Shari Chesed and then in Beit HaKerem, two neighborhoods in Yerushalayim. Eventually he settles down in Beit Vagan, and uh, his last years, actually, he moved to Bnei Brak. It's unclear how that happened. It seems like he was somehow, somewhat, you know, not really kidnapped, but taken by the Hasidim. Uh, and his family wanted him to stay in Yerushalayim. By then, by his later years, he was one of the oldest rebbes of his, of his age, of his day. And he also was known as a miracle worker and, and a... He you know, was quite popular, so his Hasidim wanted him nearby in Bnei Brak, so they kind of brought him there. Um, but for most of the years that he was in Yerushalayim, he was did not have an active role as the Tolna Rebbe. It's amazing. He reverts to a role of a Hasid. Of whom? Of the Ger Rebbe, of the Beis Yisrael, 
of Lev Simcha, the Pnei Menachem, and uh, and he was also close to Kleisenberger Rebbe and Netanya. Um, in his, so he he would sit at at the tish of the Gera Rebbe as if he was a regular chassid. An amazing expression of the tznius and modesty, which is a feature of Chernobyl in general, and especially so of Tolna. Um, and he he exuded a, this this happiness, which is also a feature of Tolna. Rabbi David of Tolna, his ancestor, had said that Atzvus to be sad and depressed is is literally the worst the worst thing that a Jew can mood that a Jew can have. It always has to strive for happiness. And uh, and Rabbi Yechanan definitely uh, was uh, was you know manifested that in his personality. This love for every Jew, no matter which background. This warmth. A simplicity, this this modesty, this sneers, that was his very very predominant feature. Um, one of the most interesting things about Rabbi Eichanan was was that he that it, the way he the way he was very uh, physically expressive with his dancing and, and even like to a certain way somersaults and stop, I'm going to explain in general and throughout the history of the Hasidic movement. Jumping and dancing, and even to a certain extent, somersaults and flipping over and headstands was part of Hasidic history, believe it or not. And in fact, part of the early opposition to the Hasidic movement, the Hisnagdus, which is mentioned in many of the excommunications, the Cherems, was this Kulayanzich, and later on it's referred to as the Kajikals, uh, uh, flipping over, headstands, uh, somersaults several variations of the term in the different writings throughout the sources and in the history of the movement. It's mentioned also in the letter of the Alter Rebbe, Rabbi Shneir Zalman of Liadi, the founder of the Chabad dynasty, in a letter that he wrote to Rabbi Rom Kalisker, where he, in which he blames him, blames Rabbi Rom Kalisker, his, 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 his colleague from the Magid of Mizrich days, for bringing on the opposition of the Misnagdim because the followers of Rav Kalisker did headstands and somersaults in the streets of Kalisk. So this was part of the some of the radical uh, uh, in the early Hasidus, and, and it brought on a lot of the opposition. But this was seen by many tzaddikim throughout the history of the movement as part of the Avedis Hasidus, part of the servant, part of what they did to bring happiness, to do other things, which I'm going to explain some of the reasons that Rabbi Echanan uh, of Tolna explained, as we'll see momentarily. But it's interesting that even the Piyatetzna Rebbe, who has this incredible short autobiography, which is a fascinating read in general, he writes that he himself engaged in this practice. You know, it was very prominent Rebbe's up to modern times. So now we come to Rabbi Echanan Tversky of Tolna. And he, to the best of my knowledge, is the most recent Rebbe slash Tzaddik to regular, regularly engage in this practice. And we have several testimonies as to their nature and his explanation of them. He would do this koizhikul, it's called, referred to in the writings as his hapchus or hitapchut, a some sort of somersault turning over. And he would do it, engage in this almost every night. He would do it before Kiddush. He would do it before kindling the Hanukkah candles. He would do it before reading a difficult kvittel. He would do it in public, by weddings, to bring joy to the groom, to the chassan. He was actually renowned for his efforts to bring joy and happiness to a chassan at his wedding. He would something he would regularly do. And he provided several reasons for this behavior. One of them was bitul hayesh, to nullify the, the yesh, to, to, to a big, deep concept, a somewhat mystical concept in the Hasidus, which I'm probably not capable of explaining. 
of, of nullifying the yesh, the, 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 of existence, of, of going into, from the yesh into ayin, to go into, into the, the ein seif, the, the godliness, so to nullify one's physicality, oneself, one's, one's arrogance, one's, uh, one's physicality, one's, one's uh, haughtiness, things like that, that's, I guess, the most basic way of, of, of explaining Bitalayesh, but it probably has much deeper and more mystical uh, explanations. And, and doing this this actual physical turning over, so you're turning over, you know, bringing the the up to down and the down to up. It's it has to do with a symbolic uh, uh, doing that, you know, accomplishing that. He also explained that it's his chadshus, it's renewal, moving away from the past and turning over to a new slate, a new leaf, starting anew resolving to begin anew. Again, a symbolic expression of that. Other times, Rabbi Yechenon explained that it's an expression of kol that all of my entire being, my entire essence, uh, is expressing praise to God. And he related that his great ancestor, Rabbi David of Talna, engaged in similar practices. And he'd regularly do it on Simchas Torah, publicly, by the Hakafis. And while he would do it, he would scream out and declare, Bittel Hayesh, Bittel Hayesh. And he would encourage those around him to do this kaijikal, this turning over, and similarly declare, as they're doing so, bitul hayesh. So it's a very interesting. As was mentioned, he especially was particular about this form of activity when attempting to gladden a chassan at his wedding. He became somewhat famous for this, so much so that he was once in attendance at a wedding, and the audacious groom requests of the Rebbe in front of everyone, Nu, tol the Rebbe, machta Turn over, why don't you do that? Which is an audacious request. How you know? How dare the chassan say that? So the family member accompanying the rebbe felt that this was inappropriate and it was disrespectful. So he made sure that the rebbe did not comply with the request. But the rebbe was serious about these type of commitments. These types of commitments. So there's an astounding end to this story. Several months later, this young married couple receives a knock at their door one evening. There stands the Tolna rebbe, Rabbi Yechanan, all alone. The shocked young man was caught speechless, and the Tolna Rebbe helped himself into the living room, removes his hat, and did a quick somersault, and then stands up and says, I owe you this since your wedding night, and then he walks out. (laughs) An incredible story. Now, people were taken by him. He was very charismatic, very warm, very fatherly. People were Hasidim of him, of Rabbi Yechanan. They were not necessarily Hasidim of Tolna. Um, he had a Hasidim of him who were Balei Tshuva, who were returnees to Judaism. Uh, when the Rebbe lived in Montreal, he would travel to small towns across Canada, giving inspiration and chizik and a connection to Judaism to, to, to Jews in these small towns who had never seen a Rebbe, who had never seen a Rebbe, who had very little affiliation altogether. This is in the 1930s and 40s, keep that in mind. He was really a special uh, uh, ch- person, that uh, that people were just drawn to, and it wasn't necessarily about Tolna and their affiliation to the Chernobyl Ukrainian Tolna dynasty, but rather to the personality and the charisma of Rabbi Yechanan Tversky himself, which is interesting because it's similar to the current Rebbe. Is the same way they're Hasidim of him, of him as a, a, a uh, as the Rebbe. Um, so the uh, the um, so like I said, there was this already this connection to Ger. Rabbi Yechanan already has this connection to Ger. Now, he has the one and only child. He had one daughter, but this daughter had enough names for several children. Her name was Gittel Merrill Brindle Leah. And she marries a fellow named Yisrael Tzvi Weinberg, who was affiliated with Mizrahi, had a government position. And uh, their son, 
Rabbi Yitzhak Menachem Weinberg is the current Rebbe today. He first attended Nativ Meir, which is a national religious institution, a yeshiva, uh, but was one of those who was drawn to Ger by Rabbi Yisrael Alto, the base of Yisrael, like I mentioned in the beginning of the episode. And he eventually becomes a full-fledged Ger Chassid, similar to his grandfather, and then even closer with the Pnei Menachem. And while his grandfather was still alive, he became quite already became quite well known as a public speaker and educator. And when his grandfather passed away in 1999, he was appointed to succeed him, and he is the current uh, main uh, Tolner Rebbe. Um, he's Rabbi Yitzhak Menachem Weinberg. He's known somewhat as Rabbi Itcha Weinberg, but he's known as the Tolner Rebbe. Um, he, he, in fact, when the Pnei Menachem was was, uh, was alive, he would uh, still he would occasionally uh, deliver the Shalashudas Drasha in the Ger Beis Medrash. Um, so, so it's, it's, it's very, very interesting. He had this prominent role in Ger also before he was the Tolna Rebbe. I, in fact, I, 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 I have a personal story with him. I when we were, I was, a, you know, I was a guide, a guide in, in Yad Vashem. So one day there was a, a an event for Haredi educators, uh, in, and guides in Yad Vashem, hundreds of them from all over the country. And the the guest speaker was the Tolna Rebbe. So here the Tolna Rebbe comes to Yad Vashem and he speaks to this big audience and he speaks about the importance of Holocaust studying Holocaust history, Holocaust education in Haredi schools, and about the importance of coming to visit Yad Vashem. It was amazing to hear the Tolna Rebbe speak like that. He he even said uh, something uh, that uh, that I uh, uh, you know uh, some stories and, and, and insights that I repeat to groups till today. Uh, he was, you know, an orator, very charismatic, very with it, very understanding of the 21st century, very understanding of education, of uh, an amazing person. I was struck by, I was starstruck by him. It was a, a really a powerful experience. I never spoke to him personally, but that one encounter was incredibly powerful. Um, this is Sreltsby Weinberg, the father of the current Rebbe, had a son-in-law named Ephraim Malkiel, and his sons, uh, first Rebbe Amitai, Malkiel, who also goes by the name Tversky today, became the Tolna Rebbe in Ashdod, and he established some Tolna institutions in memory of his great-grandfather, Rabbi Yechanan. And he has a brother, Rabbi Shaya David Malkiel, who is the Tolna Rebbe right here in Beit Shemesh, where I live. So there's branches all over. Uh, going back to the three uh, sons I mentioned of, the, of Rabbi Menachem Nachem, uh, who all moved to the United States and became Rebbe's there early on. So I discussed until now the main branch was through David Mordechai and his son Rabbi Echanan, and then today's Tolna. But there was other, other two sons who I said, I promised I'll get back to. So the next son was Rabbi Meisha Tzvi Tversky, who was the Tolna Rebbe in Philadelphia. He passed away in 1972. And then the youngest son was Rabbi Meshulam Zusha Tversky, Rabbi Meshulam Zisha Tversky, who was the Tolna Rebbe in Boston. I recently discussed him on the Boston episode so I won't uh, elaborate on it now. You can check out the Boston Part 2 episode where I discussed him. And his son, of course, was uh, Rabbi Yitzchak, uh, Dr. Isidore Tversky, who was the son-in-law of Rav Soloveitchik. His son uh, was um, was the martyr Rav Meisha Tversky, who was killed, unfortunately, in a terrible tragedy in the Harnof uh, massacre. And Yibadal Chaim, his brother, Rav Meir Tversky, is a Rosh Hashiva in Yeshiva University. And and he has a shtibel in Riverdale, which is Tolna. So you have a little bit of a, you know, Boston branch continues in Riverdale, so there is a Tolna in the United States as well. You have a little bit of that. So this was about the Tolna dynasty uh, and some of its great leaders. This is Yehuda Geber with Jewish History Soundbites. You can reach me at Yehuda at YehudaGeber.com for questions, comments, sources, tours, trips, sponsorships, and lectures. You can subscribe to Jewish History Soundbites 
on Podbean or your favorite podcast platform, and I hope you enjoyed.